Well, I bring uh, greetings from Adelston Baptist Church. Just been there this morning for their breakfast church. They they have a small message in the breakfast, and then they have a larger message after breakfast. So this is my third sermon of the day. I think this is probably a record for me. And it's just only 20 past 11. Um, so if I, I just said to Amy, if I start talking nonsense or going in and out of two different messages or possibly even three different messages, then just prod me and I'll try to get back on track. Um, we're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes again. Chapter 4, we've got two. If you've got a Bible, you want to turn there, you can do. Um, thank you, Isabel. All right. Um, let's pray. Um, before we start, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is it is good and it is beneficial to us. Thank you how it shapes and changes our lives. Thank you how you speak to us through it. And so I pray this morning, Lord, come by your spirit and speak to us, teach us, lead us. Do what you want to do in us as we as we read together. We pray us all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you haven't been for the last few weeks, just um, Ecclesiastes is a book in the middle of the Bible. Um, it is after the book of Proverbs, if you're trying to find it. And um, it's a very earthy, real book. It's a book, um, pretty brutal actually. It's pretty, almost too honest. Uh, and um, causes us to think about the meaning of our lives. And, and each week I've, I've titled these, these uh, messages with different titles. Um, the first week, who can remember the first week actually? Yeah, that wasn't the title. I, I can't remember myself, that's what I'm asking. I, last week was in the moment. No, it was the a Rolling Stones song. I can't get no satisfaction. Okay, well that's worked well. That's good. Okay, well this week I, my it's called community confinement. Oh, it's a play on words of solitary confinement. You see, the opposite of solitary confinement being community confinement. You get it? Good, good, good. So I'm going to read um, Ecclesiastes chapter four. I'm going to start at verse seven. And can I just say, it's a lot warmer in this church than it is in Adelson Baptist, so I'm going to roll my sleeves up. Um, so this is verse 7, it says, and it, and it starts very optimistically. And again I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labour. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has who, no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. 
A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So, why have I called this message community confinement? Well, as I say, it's the opposite of solitary confinement. Solitary confinement um, apparently is the worst form of imprisonment um, and punishment in a prison. I don't know if you've seen the film The Great Escape. There's, you must have seen the film The Great Escape. Do you know that it's Steve McQueen, I think, is the character who he's a bit of a sort of a, a bit of a lad, really, isn't it? At the end of the day, and he always gets himself in trouble. And what happens? He has to go to the cooler, which is solitary confinement. And if you watch the film, he's allowed to take his baseball glove and and ball in, and he's continually throwing it against the wall, isn't he? It's a very sanitised version of. I've, I've tried to find a clip on YouTube to try and illustrate my point, but it doesn't illustrate my point because actually he's actually chatting to other people in solitary confinement through these very neatly made windows and it's all very clean and nice and I thought to myself I don't expect that solitary confinement in a Nazi prisoner of war camp was quite as nice as that so I left it but anyway you get the idea that's that's the kind of thing um, it, it's um, it's still something that happens today not just in the second world war in films but people do get put into solitary confinement today and people consider it a form of torture um, it, it leads, as you might expect, it leads to serious mental health um, and anxiety and, and depression and suicidal tendencies. Um, I know that my family knows because I, I did this quiz with them earlier in the week. But how long do you think the longest the person has been in solitary confinement for the longest? Well, as we know in the in the modern, go on, five years. Five. Higher, higher, higher. No, not quite. 43. In 2016, a man was released from um, prison in the United States, believe it or not. And um, he'd been in solitary confinement for 43 years, which means 23 hours a day he was in his cell on his own. One hour a day he got some exercise outside on his own. His food was passed through a hatch in the door. That was it. He had no meaningful contact with any human being for 43 years. And he's gone on to campaign, now he's released. He, he was put in in 1972 when he was a young man, and he's now obviously uh, not a young man. And um, he's now campaigning against solitary confinement in, in prisons, which if anyone can come out of prison and do anything after that would be is, is a miracle. So um, there you go. Um, I, would, I would go as far as to say that solitary confinement is, is in the direction of of hell, really. I mean, I can't, I mean, you know, we people sort of have these ideas of what hell's like, but I would imagine, if you think about it, that hell is actually being on your own forever and being conscious of it. Um, it's it's the furthest away from. We talked a few weeks ago about God being Trinity and gathered, and this this what we're doing now, being gathered together, is in the likeness of God and how God is a gathered God, and and actually people being left on their own is the furthest thing removed from that. So, um, as we read here, living alone, and by the way, when I say living alone, I'm not talking about people who live in a house on their own, but I'm talking about people who are isolated and, and don't have contact. Um, because, and actually, people who live with other people can just be just as isolated as... Uh, so, I'm, I'm not, um, this is not a pitch to say, if you're living in a house on your own, you must stop and do something else. I'm just making myself clear. But living on your own, in the sense of being isolated and solitary, is 
is a pitiful existence because we're created to be in communion, in community. And it says here, two are better than one. And so I'm going to read to you again from the beginning of this passage we read at, uh, in verse 7 it says, And again I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. I could just leave it there. There was a man all alone. What is more meaningless than a man all alone? Now the good news is, is that Jesus brings us into a relationship. He brings us into a, f- a, f- a family, doesn't he? He brings us into a community. He brings us, we call it church. He brings us into a body of people so that we are not alone. Even if we were before, we are no longer alone because Jesus has brought us into, the fam- into a family. Psalm 68 is a great psalm. It says, God is the father of the fatherless. He settles the lonely in family. And I don't know about you, but I mean, we often talk about it here, but we talk about church as family. And if you were alone before you came here, you're not anymore because you're with us, and whether you like it or not, community confinement, you're stuck with us. Okay? You are part of a family. But what could be more meaningless than a person all alone? That in, in Ecclesiastes it says here, the person all alone says, for whom am I working? For whom am I toiling for? For whom am I living for? What am I depriving myself of enjoyment in life for? Who am I doing this for? If I'm all on my own, what is the point? A pretty contemporary challenge, actually. What Living for me. Is there any point in just living for me? Living alone for a very selfish and, at the end of the day, unhappy, unsatisfactory life. Ecclesiastes would say it's grasping at the wind. It's one of its favourite phrases. Ecclesiastes says it's all grasping at wind. And I think it speaks very directly to this self-centred world that we live in at the moment. But it says, it speaks on it, it says, we will find contentment in working and serving for others because we're designed in the image of a Trinitarian relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And therefore, our lives make most sense when we are living with and living for others, not when we're living on our own. And so, this idea that it's, it's meaningless for a man to, to be on his own points to a higher view of life and a higher view of work. When we're not all alone, when we're made aware of our place in the world, when we've been created purposely by a loving creator and, and we've got a, a purpose for being here and we realise that, that through Jesus we're connected with the people around us then we can know that there's, there's a bit more to our life there's a bit more to our work there's a bit more to the things we do than just being in employment or chores but there is, there is some meaning and there's purpose in it that when we do things it brings satisfaction to others and, and which brings satisfaction to us Life lived alone is pretty meaningless, but life lived with others means that when we do things, they have a benefit to others, and it leads us to the idea that our work is more of a vocation. I learned this word when I was doing GCSE RS, vocation. I don't know whether it resonates with you, but see, I have got some qualifications for doing the job I'm doing. I got an A, and that was the last time I studied formally uh, in this, but anyway... Vocation, the idea that our, uh, the work that we do has is more than just earning some money for us to just pay the bills and that's that. But the idea that our vocation benefits other people and it benefits the world around us. And there's a bigger and a higher purpose to the things we do. 
See, Jesus makes us aware of our place in the world and how it interacts with, with, other, with other people. And, and I, was, um, I, was, uh, I was encouraged by this. Quite a few years ago, I was on a way to uh, uh, this kind of, I don't know quite what it was, actually. It was a gathering of people who were kind of in church leadership and kind of not, and just people who were sort of thinkers and wanting to move church on in different ways. It was an interesting bunch of people. Anyway, I was in the car. Do you remember Stuart Lindsell? He came here to him and a friend of his and, and they were just asking what I did and so obviously I told them about this but then also did you know I have published some books no you didn't so I mean I'm surprised you haven't got them there's a, a book on how to play the tuba available in bass clef and treble clef um, there's also uh, a couple of books for trumpet players with braces because when you get braces on your mouth it's quite difficult to play the trumpet so it's kind of so I wrote some tunes deliberately for that and, and a few other things, you know. You can look at my, my website, foxy.music.co.uk. Yep, there's plenty for sale. Our, we've got a, a store cupboard of these things um, up in the loft. Um, now, the reason why I, I did this, I mean, when I was teaching, I found that there wasn't a good book for teaching tuba students. So I thought, well, why don't I write one? Just, if I'm honest, mainly for myself, so that I'm thinking I can actually have got something to use, because it's quite... And same... You know, trumpet players, they get quite good, and then they say, oh, I've just been to the dentist. Like, oh, no. And then it's like, oh, what do I do? Because the music is either too high or too, you know, just too loud for them to play. So I've written some lower but still difficult pieces for just things that I wrote for myself. And I thought, well, maybe I might make a bit of cash if I, <laughs> if I sell these things. I, um, so I, it was actually, do you remember David Holden? I was just talking to him. He said, yeah, go for it. Why don't you go for it? So when was that? That was about... 12, 13 years ago. So I did that, published these books, self-published. Last year, let me tell you, having set out to make some cash, I broke even. Yes, and now every time I sell a book, I'm making a healthy profit of possibly £13 once PayPal has taken its money off. Yeah. <coughs> now I was telling this, to, and, I was, and it's a bit of a joke in our house, Louise thinks it's a bit of a joke. You know, because it's not going to be, sorry guys, it's not going to be an inheritance. You know, you're not going to better live off this uh, if you keep selling my books. It's just a, at best a bit of pocket money. But there's me thinking I was going to make my millions. Um, but I was telling this person that I was in the car with, and, and, they, and, and she said, wow, well, you're really serving the people that have braces by the trumpet. That They must be really grateful to you. And I stopped to thought to myself, oh, I haven't really thought of it like that. Thought this is a niche, be a very niche niche, um, hole in the market. So I'll exploit. Um, but actually, what I've done is something that benefits the world around me. It's not a big world. I'll be. I'll let you know that. But it's a little world. But for those people that it benefits, she was saying, well, that's a great thing. That's vocation. Do you see? It's more than me just making some money for myself, which hasn't worked. But what has worked? I mean, I've sold, I'll tell you now, I've sold probably 400 copies of these books, you know, and there's, there's 400 people that have benefited from something that I've produced. Now, I'm not telling you, that, you know, please don't go around saying my pastor's an amazing uh, composer who has sold worldwide, well, although I have sold books to Australia. Um, <laughs> but... Um, I'm trying to give you an idea of that what we do has more than just 
um, a work that more than just serves ourselves. Because when we live in a world that's bigger than ourselves, then there's actually there's actually great reward when somebody comes up to me and says, oh, I've got one of your books, it's great, you know. Great, hope you pay for it, photocopy it. No, I'm not thinking that, I'm thinking great, no. Okay? And so I want to encourage you, you know, when you wash the dishes, you aren't just clearing up, it needs to be done, you're actually serving the next person who uses those dishes, like, even if we do that today, you know? We're, we're, we're making something ready for the next person to use. You know, when we, I'm just thinking about you, Chris, you know, or, or Dennis, you know, when you can keep computer servers going, you might just think, this is a pain. <laughs> and these things keep breaking, and people keep giving me a to-do list as long as my arm. But actually, in keeping those things running, you're serving the people around you to make their life smooth, you know? And so, that's, um, you know, when we teach a child something, we're not just teaching them a bit of curriculum. You know, I'm thinking of you, Emma, when you've done things at national school, and you know, Louise teaches at home, and others that teach. Daniel is We're not just bashing through a curriculum. We're laying foundations in people's lives, aren't we? Um, you know, Keith, when you empty the bins, I was, I was just thinking, I was thinking, John, when you, I was thinking of you when it was the washing up, actually. You know, John is a man who just loves washing up because I know he loves to serve and get it ready for everybody else. He's not just kind of doing it because he, it's just a job. Just something, he's passionate about washing his dishes. Keith, when you empty the bins, you're not just, Oh, it needs doing. But actually, you're serving the whole community of the church here, so that when we come and put our tissue or whatever in the bin, this doesn't pop out again as it does in our house. You should come to our house, actually. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> we need someone who serves the bins, because normally in our house, you have to push it down, it springs back up, and you end up more rubbish on the floor than you actually started with. But in emptying the bins, you're serving the community around you. And if you stop and think about it, all work can be like that, but also all work can be a right pain in the bum if we're just thinking we're doing it because we're doing it. Does that make sense? If we're just doing it on our own, you know, it's kind of, oh. If Keith just wanders around thinking, oh, God, do the bins. And he doesn't realise that he's doing it for the church, then he's going to be miserable. Utterly miserable. So the same with anything we do. Even if you do something which you might think is very vocational, like teaching, it can be very miserable if all you think you're doing is trying to do a syllabus and ticking some boxes and filling in the forms or whatever you do nowadays as teachers. But when you realise you're impacting lives, we just, um, we, <laughs> the kids were really embarrassed, didn't they say this, but we bumped into a lady who was the midwife who, who delivered Abigail yesterday. And she was just walking in St Anne's, um, St. Anne's Hill and I recognised her and I said, excuse me, you're a midwife. And we got chatting. I know that, I, part of the reason I did this, girls, is I knew that it would be a blessing for her to just see Abigail's face, to say, oh, I was there when this little one popped out into the world. And I'm sure, I know you will have students that come up to you, and, oh, thanks for doing what you're doing. It's, it, but everything can be like that. If we live in community, if we have our eyes, we're not living on our own, we're not stuck in, in, sort of in, on, in our own world, if you like. Because there's nothing more miserable than a man living on his own. Right. I think I've said enough about that. Where am I in my notes? Absolutely nowhere. Right. What we do is meaningful. Um, the other thing we notice here, because it carries on, it says two are better than one. So it's talking about commu community confinement. Remember? Oh, that's it. That's the message here. Community confinement. Two are better than one. There's something, when we do things together, that it's more effective, it's more fruitful, there's a synergy. Do you know that word, synergy? When things come together to be more than the sum of their parts. Yeah, there's, there's, um, when we come together, two are better than one. It says here, two get more work done together. 
to help each other when things go wrong, to keep each other warm when they're cold, to defend each other. It's like we're designed to be together. Hmm. Yeah. There's a reaction when we get together and do things together that we become more productive. Now, I know my examples revolve around music or riding a bike, but I'm going to go again with this. I've, I've done music, I'll do riding a bike now, because that's just pretty much my life other than church. Um, I was out riding my bike on my own the other day. I actually quite like going out on my own on my bike because it gives me just time to think. So I'm not saying, by the way, that you're not allowed to be on your own ever. You know, you are allowed time on your own. I think it's good. Jesus had time on his own, didn't he? He went and spent time with the Father. and But then he went back to the community. So it's okay to be on your own. So I was out on my bike, and I haven't been out riding much this year. And I was just going along, and this group of four guys came past me, and they all looked pretty fit. You can tell when a cyclist is fit, because they're about as wide as my finger, you know. And, and I thought, okay. And they said, hop on the back if you like. And what that means is, you can ride along with us, and because they're riding along quicker, if you've ridden a bike, you'll, you'll get this. And you can kind of just about keep up with them, even though they're going, they're going quicker than you'd normally go. The slipstream allows you, you can ride along behind. So I said, oh, I'll try. And they go, yeah, you'll be fine. I was like, yeah, right. Okay. So we're just going up to Newlands Corner, and sure enough, I managed to keep on the back wheel of this the last guy. And we flew, I did a personal best, I had recorded it, from uh, the roundabout, that was a drag up to the bottom of Newlands Corner Hill. And it was just so exciting. I'm thinking, I'm doing 18 and a half miles an hour up a hill. I'm with these guys, and they're just, they're just chatting. I'm like, <laughs> at the back. They're just like this. And um, I'm thinking, this is, this is community. You know, this is how it works. When we are with people, we become faster, and we become stronger. Well, if they're doing the work, in this case. And, and so we got to the traffic. You know, there's some traffic lights just before it really gets steep. And they said, we're going to stick together on this one. It's like, yeah, well, you are. I said this to them. And they said, no, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I managed to keep with them up the steep bit because actually even going up a hill, you can get a bit of benefit. And then a lorry was sort of wanting to get past, so they all just kind of sped up, and I didn't. And do you know what the funny thing was? I went out on that ride to be on my own. Then I got with this group who I didn't speak to. I just hang on the back wheel. But the, the benefit was, it was really good fun. I really enjoyed it. And then when they left, I had this sense of just all of a sudden being really vulnerable and all on my own. And I was like, <sighs> okay. Because I had the, the rest of the hill to climb and everything else. And I went right, I was like back, it was almost like a depression set into my gears because I went right into first gear and I was kind of going this quickly, you know. And that's what happened, you know. When we get dropped off the back, when we get on our own, the, the productivity, the, the, everything about us just, just gets zapped away. And so, we're designed to work together. Now, if I'd known them, I know that they, they would have waited for me at the top. They didn't, they were, they really didn't know that. You know, why would they wait for me? But if we'd been, we, we do ride in a group sometimes, a few of us, and we wait for each other, and we, we help each other out, and we get places quicker, better, and everyone gets there. And this speaks into the way we are to do life. Not just for me, but for others, and not just on my own, but with other people. Not just for myself, but for other people. Not just on my own, but with other people. So it's a good question to ask yourself when you're doing stuff, who am I doing this for, and who am I doing this with? 
Because if I'm not doing it for someone and I'm not doing it with people, then it's not going to be that much fun in the long term. Right, nearly there, kids. You're doing well. Verse 9 says, two are better than one. And then the next few verses, if you read through those verses, it, it kind of, it goes on about how great two are better than one. Two are better than one at this. Two are better than one at that. Two are better than one. All the, all the way through. And then there's this mysterious line in verse 12. It says, two are better than one at the beginning. And then it says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Now, I'm, you know, I don't know, when you, I first read this, I'm thinking, well, surely the translators have got this bit wrong because they've been talking about two. <laughs> two, 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 two. And then why is he talking about a cord with three strands? Where's that come from? Maybe the translation from the Hebrew for three has got mistaken for two or the other way around. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I tell you what, I love this verse. Mainly because it's mysterious. Mainly because it doesn't actually make sense in everything that's just gone before it in one, in one way. How can he be so emphatic about saying two, 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 and then suddenly three? Why are two good at this? Why am I being told two is brilliant at this? And then why does he mention three? It's almost like he's saying two is good, but I show you a more excellent way. Three. Huh? Two is the beginning of community, but actually, let's take it a little bit further. Let's go for three. Two is strong, but three is even stronger. It's almost like he knows. I mean, there wasn't an idea of Father, Son, Holy Spirit in, when this was written, but it's almost like the writer knows that Trinity is good. Even if he doesn't know that three is how God is, but the idea that actually God is three and one. It may even be just a suggestion that relationship is stronger. So my friendship with, sorry, Keithy, there again. I don't know why, I just have this sort of like, not a blind spot here in this part of my vision. It always comes to you. But my friendship with Keith is good, but it's a lot stronger if God is with us in it. Yeah? Uh, same with my marriage with Louise. I mean, it's good marriage, but it's stronger because God is entwined in it. Maybe it's something pointing to that in our relationships. A friend of mine said, and this was her take, that actually when a, a couple have a child, that child bonds the couple closer together. I, I don't know. I, I don't know whether I have an, a complete answer for why all of a sudden a three-stranded cord is mentioned here, and that's why I like it, because it's mysterious. It's making us think, what is this about? Two are better than one. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. I think what this speaks is that in fulfillment in life, com community confinement, we're not alone, but we're together. Two is good, but three is even better. One is miserable. In fact, if you summarize this chapter, one is miserable, two is good, three is even better. Okay? So if you can live our lives like that, that's just an easy way of remembering it. It's three speaks of a community interwoven and bound together. A three-fold cord is hard to break. Now, I know there are people here today with us who go to a thing called forest school. Have you ever made a rope out of three strands? Have you ever done that? Yeah. Can you tell us how you do it? Thank you. Excellent. I'm glad you said that, because otherwise I'll be, my illustration doesn't work. But thank you. So the idea is you get your three strands, okay, and this one, you twist this way, 
and then loop it over that one, and then you get this one and twist it. You have to twist it though, because if you don't twist it, it just unravels. But because you twist it, when you ravel them all up, it stays together. Mm. Amen. Hallelujah. That's it. Yeah. So you twist it and then you wrap it. And it spoke to me as I was thinking about that because I, I saw, saw it done on YouTube because that's where you learn everything nowadays. I'm glad YouTube agrees with Forest School. Um, maybe that's where they got it from. That if we are going to live as community, though well together, entwined, that there does need to be a certain amount of twisting involved in our lives, you know? Let's be honest, living together in community confinement isn't always easy, is it? You know, there are some times where, you know, friendships are che tested and challenged and sometimes you say something it doesn't really sit well with me and it's a bit, mm. But actually there's a bit of twisting involved in me. If I'm going to bind together with you, I need to be twisted and just slightly challenged and changed. And same with you, because then you're going to be able to wrap around me. And so... There's a challenge to us that to live life in community well means we do need to be challenged and twisted and but when we are bound together with one another a threefold cord is not easy broken. There is strength and there is help, there is comfort, there is peace when we are together uh, as as a as a community. <coughs> but it may well mean we need to be challenged a bit to make it work well, to be twisted a bit. So, in conclusion, a man all alone is miserable, but a person who has come into community and fellowship through Jesus, by the power of Spirit, becomes part of something that's not easy broken. I don't know if you've noticed, but the church is still here. 2,000 years later, um, there are many things that aren't here 2,000 years later. There are many people who stood up and said, I'm going to live for me, you know, or emperors and rulers and people that, it's all about me, I'm just going to celebrate myself, who aren't here anymore. And not even there, the things that they started aren't here anymore, but we're still here. Because I believe church is very much about that community of, of, of people, small and weak as we are sometimes, but strong because we're knit together as a threefold core. One is miserable, two is good, three is even better. So, to wrap up with, and then we'll, we'll have some lunch, some things just to ask ourselves. Who am I doing this for? Whatever this is. Whether it's washing the dishes, you know, whether it's emptying the bin, whether it's doing something complicated that I don't even stand, like computer servers, or teaching chemistry, or IT, like Sheila used to do, or, or whether it's just very meaningful things. Who am I doing this for? Who am I doing this with? And am I being twisted slightly? And if so, that's okay. How can I be twisted more into this, this call? That's almost a three-point sermon, so it's all three today. Wow, I didn't realize that. I don't often do three-point sermons, but there you go. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are not alone. As we have found you, we are not alone. And we are in relationship with you. We're in relationship with your people. We're connected together as a family, as a body. We thank you that 
that idea of being left alone, that solitary confinement is, is undone through Jesus and that we are brought into a community. We're, we're, it's community confinement, which is for our good and for our benefit. And so I pray you teach us the way of how we may work and everything we do, whether it's employment or any kind of work, we would find ways of seeing how this benefits the world around us. Small and big. I pray you'd help us to find ways of seeing how we can work together with others to get and achieve more than we can do on our own. And I pray you to teach us how to be a threefold cord and to be twisted and to be bound together so that there'll be strength and unity in and through pray now in everything that we do as a church that you would just make that threefoldness us intertwined with one another and you in the midst of it all bring that strength in us in all that we do in Jesus name Amen